What's up, everybody? Welcome to uh, another episode of Bounty Board, episode 141. We've been doing this for a minute. I'm your host, as always, Caleb Sawyer, but with me, I have a very special guest, one of the Habibis, um, a friend of Rami and Fauzi, who I've spoken about, I've spoken to Rami on this podcast, uh, Osama Dorius, who is, as his Twitter bio used to say, the physical manifestation of hugs, I believe. Uh, <laughs> he's a senior game designer at Warner Brothers Interactive, working on Gotham Knights, but we won't talk about that because that's proprietary information. And we don't have a, we don't have an audience-wide NDA. That doesn't make any sense. Um, Osama, how you doing? Hey, Caleb. I'm super happy to be here. 141 episodes. You're a veteran podcaster. I like to think that, but I don't. Yeah. I don't tell people that. <laughs> oh, well, you you have to give me some pointers and some lessons because we don't know what we're doing with the Habibis, and <laughs> all the Habibis <laughs> will be the first to to tell you that we were just like, you know, just started doing the the podcast, and we're like, I guess we'll figure it out. And we, I don't know if you know, but we made a lot of episodes that we didn't actually put online. Yeah, why, why did, were, is it just the quality? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I'll let yeah. you in on a little secret. I don't yeah. know what I'm doing either. I just Ooh. act like it really good. And then... So, so and that's the secret. Go, exactly, that's the secret. <laughs> you just fake it until they don't have the, the will to act like you didn't make it. That's all Amazing, I love it. I'm going to quote you on that. <laughs> <laughs> do it, do it. Um well, why don't you let people know like who you are? Who's Osama Dorius? How long have you been making games? And and you know, give us the the, the like quick one hundred and one Osama. Of course, of course. Uh, so I'm a game designer at um, WB Games in Montreal, working on Gotham Knights. I've been in the industry for about oh, it's actually almost fifteen years now. I've worked on all sorts of different sized and types of games. So I've worked on uh, indie games, mobile games, AAA games. Uh, I used to work at Ubisoft on For Honor, for example. That was my first big game before uh, Gotham Knights. Uh, worked on VR games, name it. Uh, I, I am a jack-of-all-trades game designer, so a generalist. Uh, and I've re-specialized many, many times. I've been a narrative designer, a UI designer, an AI designer, an economy designer, name it. I've jumped all over the place. Uh, that's what I love. I love challenging myself and trying new things. Um, not super deep into knowledge of any one field of design, but if you want me to work on any kind of design, I, I could pick it up because I probably have some experience in it. Um, I'm also involved in academia. Uh, I was the coordinator of the video game programs at Dawson College. I authored the independent game design program, and I taught in the program for many years. That stopped about a year ago when I stepped down from the position, and I was only teaching, and now I took a break from teaching as well. Sure. Um, I'm also the co-founder of the Montreal Independent Game Awards, which since COVID has not happened for possibly obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, we used to run this uh, yearly festival where we gave awards to indies in Montreal. Uh, and I'm involved in a lot of little things here and there. I, I keep busy. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's uh, an absolute pleasure to have you. I'm Thank now you. two out of three of the of the Habibis being on my <laughs> podcast. So I just have to work on Fauzi. That's fine. I'm going to twist his arm for you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. Um, well, I mean, like you've been you've been making games for a while, and as you said, a jack of all trades. Very, uh, it's that that's, that's interesting to me because you know a lot of people seem to like pick a path, at least mm -hmm. in my observation. Mm -hmm. um, but it does seem to make a lot more sense to kind of know how to do a little bit of everything so that you can be uh, as helpful as possible. 
Um, did that come from working on smaller projects first and then just being yes. like, I need someone to do this and you being like, sure. Absolutely. Actually, I started working in the industry on mobile games before smartphones. So if you remember the old flip phones, the Nokia's sure. and the whatnot. Yeah. So I worked on those. Uh, back then, our teams were tiny. We're talking about like five people working sure. on a game for three months and then we release it. So if I was a designer, I was either the only designer or one of two designers. So sure. there was no specializations for designers. If you're a designer, you're doing all of it. You're yeah. uh, planning the game. You're uh, sometimes uh, planning the game in, in, from a producer point of view, like you know what tasks need to be done, who's going to do it, what schedule. Uh, sometimes there's even over, overlap there. You're inputting all the data for the game. You're doing all the tweaking. You're filling out forms. Like you're doing everything, like everything. Yeah. And then as I stayed in mobile, the games got the the teams got bigger. Uh, by the time I left uh, GameLoft, I think our biggest uh, the team I was on was nearing 100 people, which is very close to AAA. Sure. It wasn't AAA, sure. but it was very close. Um, made that transition easier. And at that point, I had to specialize because then now you have sometimes five to ten designers on the team, and everyone right. has to like you know to own a feature, own own the subject. Um, but like it, it has a lot to do with personality type too. Uh, I love mm -hmm. being challenged and trying new things. Uh, I'm not afraid of failure it's okay if things don't work out i'll jump yeah. in and try again or you know reach out to someone and try to learn from it but to be honest you need both uh types of people the people who gain deep knowledge in a subject and become experts in it like the principal designers if you were talking about design but it applies to any discipline and the generalists uh, sure. And generalists, generally what they end up doing is they excel in on smaller teams or on bigger projects like Gotham Knights, for example, you end up being the lead because you can speak to everybody on your team because sure. uh, you have a common language. But you're not the expert in anything that they do. They're all experts because <laughs> they have the deep knowledge and everything. So Yeah, sure. It works out funny that way. but you know, Yeah, that's out. fascinating. I uh, The few indie projects I've worked on, it's been very similar. I think that we have a similar spirit when it comes to like trying things out. Uh, I filled in with a studio working on a little game on PS4 called Smugglecraft. It's about like racing. Ooh. And uh, their writer left <clears throat> to work for another studio. And I came in and helped them like do some narrative wrap up, put a bunch of barks into spreadsheets mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they were like, oh, no, we need someone to like voice act for all this. <laughs> and I was like, well, I can voice act. But more than that, like if you need someone to like cast and direct people, I can also do that. And they were right. like, there's four of us. Sure, do it. So I just kind of like leaned in and, and whispered, I could do that. And they were like, yep. do it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, indie studios are the and small studios are absolutely places where you have to have that kind of flexibility. Absolutely. Um, I, I've actually done voice acting when I was at Gameloft as well for the same reason. They're like, we need awesome. this. And you just you know step up to the plate. And Yeah, you're just like, well, I'm here, so why well, not? I'm here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, actually, I got involved in narrative design simply because I was doing it before uh, when nobody else was doing it on a project. I was on a project that didn't have narrative designers. The We, we didn't even know about like that label. That label didn't exist back then, narrative designer. Sure. Either a writer or a game designer, and even that was blurry. Um, but I was doing the job because I was doing, I was creating levels. Even the the, the distinction between a game designer and a level designer was just starting to become clearer at that point. Sure. Uh, but I was creating levels and I was doing game design for them as well. And I needed to put placeholder holder stories for what these levels meant and what they had. So, I t but because writing and you know stories were a passion, 
I started creating these elaborate design documents, which, you know, delve deep into the story. And sure. I had more interest in it than other people on the project. So eventually on, on the next project, when we had another story-minded game designer who went on maternity leave, uh, I stepped in and became the narrative designer on that project. Awesome. That's really awesome. how it happened. I wasn't, I didn't apply for the role. It wasn't part of a master plan. Uh, you kind of like fit the role as you need it. And indie studios, that tends to happen more. Even on mobile and smaller studios, that tends to happen more. On bigger studios, there are, there are more specialists. So you have to sure. be a little bit more intentional about it. Yeah, sure, 100%. Uh, you see that with like giant studios hiring specific yes. roles, right? Having like, well, we need a UX or a UI or an AI encounter designer. And then like, Further than that, you get like narrative for like side quests, narrative for main quests, narrative dialogue writers, things like that. Yes. Games are rapidly becoming so, so huge. It's amazing. Um, I can't imagine them getting bigger. And every time I say that, they get bigger. So. <laughs> no, precisely. That's the thing. There was a conversation on um, the Play, Watch, Listen, Listen podcast where Tom Bithel mentioned like this middle class of game studios mm. that used to exist, that used to be like, the place where people who were new to the industry with yep. no experience would come in, work on a few things kind of fast and dirty. And yep. then like, because that studio was too small to pay them more, they would move yep. on to bigger studios. Uh, and they had this constant churn of people that were like fresh going on to do new things. And that middle class is kind of like hollowed out. And yep. now you've got a lot of small indies and a lot of big, big publishers. And you run into this issue of like, well, the small the small folks aren't able to look at somebody and say, "You've never done this before. Come on in." They're looking for like almost the same thing as the bigger studios, like yeah. you know, four or five years, couple of shipped games. Um, so it's interesting. I wonder like what I wonder how that gap's going to be filled, or if that's just going to mean like indie studios like I don't even know if Annapurna counts because they're kind of big. <laughs> they're, uh, they're but indie studios, too, you know, sure, it's sure. We were yeah. seeing publishers like them or Devolver um, yeah. or like Team 17 get to the size where maybe they'll be able to fill that middle role. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be interesting. Um, it is very interesting because, yeah, I, I mean, I lived through that period as well. Uh, a lot of those games used to be like licensed games, you know, movie sure. tie-ins and things like that, the double A's of the time. Um, and, yeah, it was a perfect place. Now, what I think the solution is, and it's not a clean solution it's not an easy solution but the bigger studios especially they have to take that on because they're the ones with the budgets who are able to and they have mm -hmm. to create some kind of uh like a system system basically thinking because this is all short sightedness this is all like short-term thinking sure we need someone to fill the role so we're going to hire a senior because they could do the role oh no the senior quit or left or got a better offer we need to hire another senior to replace them instead of oh, we have a senior now, how about we do knowledge transfer and hire a junior and pair them with them and let them train that junior sure. for, you know, not only as a, as a, to benefit the industry at large, which, you know, there's not, there is a business case for it, but people don't usually see it. <laughs> you know, it's sure. healthier sure. to do that for the industry at large, which is better for us in the long run. But also just because it's better for you in the short run as well, because if something happens, you have security, you have someone who could step in and right. hold the fort. So your feature isn't not worked on while you're looking for this other replacement at this point, unicorn. It's sure, yeah. Harder it's like harder a constant roll of the dice where you're like, hopefully there's exactly the person we need, as opposed to what if we forged the person that we need out of what we already have? 
exactly. And it's tricky. It's, because it's not. I'm making it sound like it's easier than it is. Um, sure, it, sure. There are never enough resources to go around, and you know people's appetites are usually bigger than their wallets, or <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> as, sure. as they call it. But that is a solution. <laughs> that is how you fix it. Because if if you put that burden on indies, it's not fair. They generally they have they can staff fewer people. They have smaller budgets. Like they 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 cannot as easily do that, so it falls on the triple A's until, like you said, the bigger indies emerge and become the double A's that are missing that the industry right. desperately needs, right? Yeah, sure, one hundred percent. It's uh when you talk about you know studios moving through like top talent and kind of staying looking for that level instead of going down, it kind of reminds me of you know how like the last ten years, maybe ten years ish, you've no there's been this like pretty noticeable increase of like it, it just seems pretty apparent that the the people running studios are all kind of our age yeah. in the like 30 to 40 range because you get a lot of games about parents yeah uh, uh, a lot of games about new parents yes. <laughs> a lot of games about parents trying to figure stuff out um and i mean like you've got god of war and last of us the two that stand out the most maybe um It'll and also, it takes two, which just came, which just won yeah, in the game sure. awards, which is literally yeah. about two parents trying to make it work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I got to shake Joseph's hand down in L.A. after he won. That guy is just if chaos was an energy form <laughs> manifest. He's so much, but he's such a blast to interact with. Um, yeah, it, it takes two. Winning was great. I didn't think yeah. that it would, but when it did, I was like, "This is this is right. This makes yeah. sense." Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to think about like what happens, you know, in, in 10 years still, maybe even starting sooner when kids that were, you know, not not our age, like start making games at the leadership level, because you're going to get like this whole generation of games made by kids that weren't inspired by the Legend of Zelda and Mario and Super Mario 2 and, yep. you know, those foundational games for people that grew up in the 80s and 90s. Well, these kids are going to, like, what's it going to look like when a studio is headed by somebody whose inspirational games are, like, uh, uh, Oblivion or Skyrim? Yeah. And, like, how does that foundation for inspiration translate differently going That's forward? It's really exciting to, to even think about it. I Actually, I remember a moment while I was teaching where um, I this is the moment I realized I had to update my slides every single year, even when I thought the content was good just sure. because of how irrelevant the examples could be where sure. i i used a narrative example from bioshock the original bioshock and yeah. i saw a few puzzled looks this is back before the pandemic when people were in, in the in the classrooms and i said wait by show of hands how many people here have played bioshock and one hand went up and i was floored <laughs> oh no <laughs> i was floored until i realized they were like 6 or 7 when bioshock came out yeah. Or like you know whatever it came out what in two thousand seven or something like that, so right. they were they were extremely young and not a, it was not age appropriate. <laughs> they right. came out, right? And yeah, that example isn't good anymore. I have to find something more recent. So you're absolutely right. Like the a lot of there's there are a lot of people now uh, who are getting into games who their biggest influences are Minecraft and maybe even Fortnite. And what kind of games are are they going to make? You know that's that's going to be yeah. really interesting to follow and watch. Yeah, like the foundational pillars of those games are just different, right? Different, it's yeah. Connectivity and constant update and like yeah. accessibility and player interaction. Where when we were growing up playing games, it was like, no, levels yes. and bosses 
Yes. And like we still get, you know, boss rush type games and yeah. Dark Souls type games and like very corridor centric games. But I imagine as the future, you know, comes, those things are going to be more nuanced experiences than they are the general. I would expect that to happen, especially from uh, the, the indie space, because you, you have a lot more opportunity for people to rise up and create whatever it is in their mind. Sure. Uh, the bigger spaces, the more established spaces, that's going to, like like everything else, that's going to take some time before that seeps yeah. in. Yeah. So the, yeah. The, the people who make decisions are still, you know, a little bit, they tend to be older. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. Absolutely. But it's going to so be what? interesting to watch. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. So speaking of you know updating your slides, um, which is <laughs> which is extremely good to know because like I'm gonna start teaching uh, intro to game design and um, world design in January. That's amazing. Okay, if you I, I know this is the conversation we can have off the podcast, but if you want to have any pointers or if you want to borrow my slides, like a lot of my slides are based off other people's work uh, sure. uh, anyway, and uh, I've given them to other teachers who've contributed to them and given them back to me. So it's just sure. like you know melting pot of ideas and and directions. So if you if you want to like you know grab them and keep what you like and throw away what you don't, you're more than welcome to them. That's awesome. I appreciate that. I love of how course. collaborative the game industry is. Everyone's like, oh, you're doing that too? Cool. Let me tell you how I did it. It's the best. <laughs> I love it. I love it's it. the best. I love um, it. But yeah, in the spirit of like switching up things for newer generations coming, you're a parent, as I am, and you have kids that are of video game consuming age. That's a weird yes. way to, dis- to describe <laughs> that, but I did it. it um works. <laughs> what kind of approach did you have to introducing them to games? Or did you? I know some people that, like, have been game designers their whole lives, had kids. They became the age that, like, they started playing games. Mm-hmm. But they, like, stepped back and let them approach games organically if they wanted to. And then I know some people that are like, no, my kid's going to play the minute they can pick up a controller. Like, how, as a dad that's worked in games for so long, how did you kind of approach that with your with your kids? This is – it's actually a very interesting question because – them playing games, I didn't approach so intentionally. Uh, it's them making games that I had a plan for. Because that's sure. something I wanted to, to have as a shared experience with my kids. I wanted the, to make games with them. And yeah. It's not that I wanted them to become game developers or anything like that. That wasn't the intention at all. This is just a, 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 an act, a, 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 an activity that I absolutely yeah. love. It's a collaborative activity. And, I, and it's a big part of who I am as a person. And I want sure. to share that experience with my kids. Um, so it was more that. So in terms of, of playing games, I'm very careful not to force them or to pigeonhole them to only playing things that I enjoy. So I've I seen a lot of people who say, I, I, I took my kids through the same formative years that I had. So they only started playing the original Mario and then Mario 2 and then Zelda and all that. And I'm not judging people who do that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, give, giving them a good his, history or game education. But I was like, you know what? It's fine. I'll see what they like and I'll get them what they like. And whenever there's something that's uh, like co-op that I could play with them, all the better. Uh, my yeah. kids have, like I'm sure <laughs> yours too, have overabundance, uh, 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 overabundant access to games. Like my Steam yeah. library is ridiculously big. I get games <laughs> all the sure. time. Like, sure. They, they don't, it's really rare that they're like, uh, Dad, I want to play this game. Can you get it for me? Chances are I got it and I've tried it already <laughs> sure. by the time they're interested in it. It's extremely sure. rare. Um, for game making, though, 
I wanted to approach it really carefully. And I have this whole presentation that I'm not going to go into now about how I piecemeal introduced them to game making by making them content creators for uh, uh, the the games that I made that I designed, and then slowly yeah. gave them more design decisions and taught them how those decisions impact the game. Until now, like they make games on their own without me. They just That's like awesome. start and make a game. But it was a very slow process, and I had to approach it carefully, and I made a lot of mistakes along the way. And I have this whole presentation about how I did that, which uh, I'm gonna need to steal that from you. Yeah, too. of course, that you're more than amazing. welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because, like, when we were kids, right? Like, there's this. I frequently so I worked with a game studio in St. Louis, where I'm from, that made an educational game, uh, and educational is in quotations because I don't think it, the the original idea was educational in in nature. But what they ended up doing is creating a, basically a, its own game engine to build like 2D games based on uh, like little blocks. It was called Bloxels. And Bloxels. so like they would um, put out these boards that were physical and tactile. It was really good with younger kids and let them like place them on this board, take a photo of it with an iPad and it would translate it into a level. And then they could like do character art and animations and stuff. That's and amazing. I'm looking it up right now. I wish I knew about this when my kids were younger. This would have been incredible. <laughs> it's wow. the it's really really cool, and we've used it to focus on like teaching kids like uh, reading comprehension and writing because like you can add story blocks to all the characters you create, so you can have like narrative in your games. But I realized so, while we were going to like STEM schools and STEAM schools, like I was either I was born a few like a decade too early <laughs> because if I had been in elementary school and been given this. Yes. I would have absolutely lost my mind. Yes. So it's absolutely. interesting thinking now that like game design is one of those like potential and foundational like skills to teach a kid like reading, like writing, like you know drawing and coloring. It's just a different form of creation and in all honesty it kind of combines all of the things I said previously. Like you can write, you can design and think problem solving wise through like level design and then there's artistic uh, potential through the roof, right? Levels and textures and backgrounds and worlds, all sorts of stuff. So my my kids, I taught them how to use Scratch to make their own games like when mm -hmm. they were fairly young. My daughter, who's eight now, uh, just showed up uh, from school, was it last week or the week before? Not not long ago at all. And she said that she just got 100% on a test. And I said, oh, which one? She's like, I made a game in Scratch. Nobody else knew how, but I already knew. <laughs> <laughs> amazing she was using it since she was six years old so she was like and she said at one point the teacher didn't know how to do a thing so i showed him <laughs> like, amazing great. you that's you probably great. turned around and like fist pumped behind your back so, so they couldn't see it <laughs> yeah. oh hell yeah i was such a, a proud dad at that moment yeah uh, that's awesome <laughs> but yeah nothing like that was available when we nothing we sure. had to learn everything from scratch um i used to make board games out of empty pizza boxes like <laughs> yeah just like cardboard it was like kind of a pop-up book but it was a board game inside it was yeah. terrible because i didn't know what i was doing but it played you know you could it finish played. it sure yeah you could incorporate and... the grease stains as placeholders <laughs> or things like that <laughs> the first one i made was actually in a used pizza box but eventually i started asking my dad to bring some clean fresh ones from amazing the... i'm sure the people at the pizza the restaurant were like, why do you want empty pizza boxes? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, but I actually had board games that it was the board and the box. I was super proud of that. <laughs> That's awesome.
That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do much board game creation, but what my brothers and I did is we would come up with card games based on our toys, which sounds yeah. really random, but we would like assign specific toys to the roster and then like you'd pick sides and then we'd essentially I don't want to say essentially, it's not exact, but like the way inscription plays or the way Magic the Gathering plays or the way like Hearthstone plays where you're like this card is for this character and it means they can do yeah. this and this and this. We kind of adapted Pokemon That's to ourselves. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's crazy. It. Like we just, we figured out like, okay, we'll only use superheroes and it'll be a superhero fight and they'll have yeah. superhero abilities. And then like later we'd introduce <laughs> army men or something ridiculous and be like, now they're mixed. Um, and so today it just seems like it's like the non-digital Disney infinity, basically when you were a kid. <laughs> no, 100%. I, I didn't think about that. 100%. We did that. I love it. I love it. Yeah. The amiibos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 100%. Yeah. With, we, uh, so my daughter just, or my daughter turns five in March. And the reason I'm super interested in like how you got kids and your kids introduced to games is she outside of my own, I mean, it, how much can you say you don't have impact on your kids, even like outside of intention? But my wife and I, when we started dating 15 years ago, were playing Crash Bandicoot. That was how we bonded the first time, and we played Crash Team Racing and all of those, yeah. all of those games. So Crash Four comes out last year or 2019, because what is time? 2020 is time? and 2021. <laughs> 2019 both is flew. last year. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> right? <laughs> we can't be wrong, right? No. Um, and so Crash Four comes out, and we start playing it, and my daughter Charlotte will watch it and be like. I want to play. And for a long time, it was like, this game's a little complex. But then we started playing Crash Team Racing because that also got, you know, updated. And my uncle gave me the little PS4 controller that's like the arcade controller. The buttons are yeah. closer together and all that. Yeah. So just last week or two weeks ago, she was like, I want to play Crash. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. And I got her the little controller and we put on a race with no AI. And I just kind of like pushed her around the course until she could figure it out. And when I tell you that, like, there are, I have two kids. I have a dozen, at least, fantastic memories with them in the last year alone. Mm -hmm. My daughter being like, I want to play Crash. And then, like, shooting me with a rocket in Crash is the <laughs> best experience. I was like, it's happening. It's Absolutely. happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that, like, they can't, no one can tell because, of course, this is audio only. But I'm smiling ear to ear because I have the same kind of stories, of course, with my kids with different interactions, like proud moments. Just wait, you're going to be crying a lot while they do their firsts in games as well as their firsts in, 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 in real life, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I have so many, so many. Like right now, I play duck game with, with my, my kids, all three of my kids. My sure. son is 13. My daughter just turned 12. My son's about to turn 14. And my youngest is eight. And I'm the worst player out of the four. And <laughs> awesome. this is the first time that that's happened. I used to play yeah. Smash Brothers. Everyone else was playing legitimately. I was trying to even the score. So I would like run in front of, at the time she was like five, run in front of my five-year-old, let her hit me and jump off the side just so she gets a few points. Because yeah. of course, my like the age difference when, when they're younger means a lot more. So my son right. would constantly win because he was two years older which is uh, you know a lifetime you know, sure. for someone that young 
and I wouldn't have any fun, but I would get enjoyment out of them enjoying the game. And I'm like, oh, how is it that, you know, Leila, my youngest, beat me five times? It's not fair. Yeah, You're really good yeah. at beating only me. And, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, they're, <laughs> they're too young to realize what's happening. Now I don't have to do that. Like I don't have to. No, do now that you're trying to keep up. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up, and I, they're yeah. destroying me. And if I get a win, I get super happy, genuinely happy. I mean, yeah. Like it still depends on on which game. Like I still of wreck course. them in racing games. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure. I remember actually, um, one of the festivals that I co-organized, uh, they had a crash uh, the demo of Crash Bandicoot racing game before it was released. Yeah. And I, I I was there with my daughter. This was a couple of years ago. She must have been six years old. And I was there with my daughter, and uh, we went and we sat. Like I took all my kids, but my other two kids were like went off on their own, and my daughter was with me. We sat on a couch with two other strangers, these mm-hmm. two guys, and they sat down, and we were playing four-player Crash Bandicoot racing. And I, you know, I, I'm playing with strangers, so I'm trying my best. So I come in first. Shortly afterwards, my daughter comes in second. And yes. a long time later, <laughs> the other two <laughs> cross the finish line, and I'm just sitting there with a smug look. <laughs> Yep. Like, yep. yep, my kids can beat you. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, that's incredible. I had the yeah. a similar experience taking my daughter to the first Sonic movie. Yeah. Because like I'm my first system that I had myself. I I played the uh SNES and the NES, but like the first system I owned personally was the Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. And my uncle got me like Sonic, Sonic 2, the the Sonic game with the little opening at the top so you yeah. could pop it in and play all the Sonic levels as Knuckles. Yeah. And so, like, Sonic's my thing. So I took her to Sonic, and, like, she was, I mean, two years ago, so she was three. And the Paramount logo comes up, and instead of the stars, it's rings, and it makes the little ring sound. And we're in a theater full of children who are like, what is this? My daughter saw the rings and was like, Sonic! And I was like, that's right. (laughs) My kid knows Sonic better than all your kids. (laughs) Oh, she, that movie she surprised a, me. It was so good. Yeah, dude, it's good, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I have a couple of friends who haven't seen it but saw the Sonic 2 trailer that came out at the Game Awards, and they're like, mm. was the first one good? And I'm yeah. like, actually, yeah. It's like, genuinely good. I watched it for my kids, with my kids, not like you know, not having any expectations that I would enjoy it, and I came out really loving the movie. Yeah. Like, you know, Jim Carrey like, we're, absolutely we're owns Robotnik. Oh, it's the best. Yes. I can't see another actor portray him now. That's just It's him. so perfect. It's so perfect. <laughs> it was, and now it was he's got the big mustache. I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> I can't wait. It's perfect. I, I'm looking so, forward to it. Yeah, it's gonna be great. And also, Idris Elba as Knuckles yeah. seemed like such a weird choice. But then hearing him, I was like, "Yep, yes, that's, that's perfect. A, that's I needed a... this." <laughs> now, something about his like his British baritone just yeah. wins me over every time he speaks. 100%. He could read me the dictionary; it'd be great. I, exactly, I'd cast him in anything. I'm just saying. Yeah, one hundred percent. Also, we should restart the campaign for him to be James Bond because oh, let's be honest, yeah. we need that. Um, but speaking of the last two years being a blur, mm-hmm. <laughs> more than a blur, uh, I say my, the thing I say now is every day's blurs day <laughs> because true. who knows every day yeah. goes by too fast, but there's been a lot of good games that, uh, have come out in the last several years. Mm-hmm. And, um, the most tricky part about good games is trying to figure out which ones are your favorites yeah so let's let's try and dig into that 
Sure. Absolutely. Do you want to just do this year or do you want to do last year too? Because it's basically the same year. <laughs> you know what? We could break it down into both because I actually keep a running list of the games that I play. Awesome. Uh, categorized by year. And the reason I do this is because people inevitably ask me and I don't normally remember what came out when and what I've played. Because like by the end of the year, who remembers what came out in like January, right? I have no idea. Right. Sure, sure. So do you want me to start with this year? Yeah, sure. Let's start with this year. All right. So what this... uh I guess yeah, how do we how do you want to divide it? Do you want to just like dive into a few? I can yeah, what I could do is I could uh start with my top five and then sure. do some honorable mentions of games that didn't make it. Do you want that? Sure. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. I'll start from the bottom up of the top five. So number okay, five. Perfect. Um unpacking. Uh, unpacking took me by complete surprise. It took a lot I had... of people by surprise. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It was in some ways exactly what I expected. It was I call it a, a reverse hidden object game, where instead of finding sure. the object, you're finding you're a place them. for the object. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. And that's what I expected. What I didn't expect is the story, the narrative that you discover by figuring out what it is. Basically, just to give it a little bit, um, it's a person who's moving from house to house to house throughout you know, the different milestones in their lives. So they start off moving into a room in a house with their parents. Then they're moving into their own apartment or a dorm room with other people or with their first boyfriend or whatever it is. And what they choose to take with them, what they choose to leave behind, what they choose to keep, what space they have available to them tells a story of their lives where yeah. by the end, without seeing any characters at all, I feel like I know this person intimately yeah. and like their heart heartaches and their victories and their successes are all there in the objects that I'm yeah. placing in their house. And that's the part I didn't see coming. And that, that surprised sure. me. And I really absolutely love that experience. It was an excellent yeah. game. Why would you go into that and expect to be like narratively drawn in? As opposed to just having like a menial thing to do. I love that like as you go, right, you're moving into your own room. So you're just finding a place for your stuff. And then you're moving into a room where roommates live. So you're yes. trying to find a place for your stuff among their stuff. And you can't touch their stuff. You can't touch their stuff. Exactly. And then you're moving into a place with a partner and you can yeah. touch everybody's, your stuff and their stuff. That to me was like, I don't, I don't want to touch their stuff. Like, I don't want like, to exactly. put it somewhere they don't want it. Yes. And as a married man, I'm very familiar with like moving something that's my wife's and her being like, what did you do with it? Yeah. <laughs> I put it here for a reason. Why did you move my stuff? And I'm 100%. like, I'm sorry. So I just don't do it. <laughs> so the game was like, yeah, move, move both of your things. And I was like, oh no. Yep. And it's because also the selfish... like what room you have available for yourself when sure. someone's already there with their stuff. Yeah, uh, and like how they place their stuff and, and the importance they accord to them, and what you have, the space that you have, what's left over, that by itself told volumes. I love. Yeah, that. there was a. It reminds me also of a moment of that game Florence that came out in twenty eighteen, yes. mm -hmm. where a couple of times you like move your stuff next to your partner's stuff, and then like they break up, so you have to take your stuff, and I think that game allowed you to take some of their stuff with you as well. Oh, wow. And that was a that was a crisis of conscience because I was like, "What do you take? Like, I I don't think this character was spite. You know, you start getting into the character's yeah. brain. Like, I don't think that this character is spiteful, yeah. so I don't think they would take everything. But yeah. maybe there's like 
a book that they want to keep so that they can see it and remind them of the past or something like that. I love that those little things that shouldn't have, they don't have any responsibility to have that in it, to have that in it anyway. That's absolutely. Great. Absolutely. Those are the, it's those memorable moments that make a game stick with you. If it was just a mechanical act of putting things where they belong without a narrative attached to it, you might still enjoy the experience, but it, it won't have, it won't be as meaningful. And that's, it's meaning that, that, basically enriches the game that gives it more value sure. right sure um so I'll, I'll go up the list my second or i should say by f- top four the number four yeah. game uh it's called the forgotten city now i've heard a lot about this so this is the interesting part i played it before i heard a lot about it it hit game pass and i play pretty much everything on game pass a little bit i sample yeah because that's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what it's there for yeah that's what it's there for yeah, and most of the games that I play on Game Pass, like you know, I'm like, okay, I see what this is, and I stop playing. Whether it's good or bad, you know, there's too many games coming out, and I just want to sample a little. I didn't realize that uh, the Forgotten City had its hooks in me. I finished it in a very short period, like not a very short period of time, but a very small number of sittings. And as a parent, yeah. you know, like we usually don't have that much time. We get interrupted a lot, so we usually sure. stretch things yeah. out over a long time. But I was completely engrossed by the the narrative of the Forgotten City. Um, it's a game, I later found out that it's a Skyrim mod that got converted into its own game. Which is insane. And then the game made a lot of sense. Because initially, I thought, playing the game, that it was a role-playing game without any progression systems or leveling up, and without any combat. And later, I realized that there was a little bit of both of those. And I'm like, why would you include those systems if they're not, you know, a major part of what your game is? And then when I realized it was a Skyrim mod i'm like ah those systems were already there and the mod worked around them and like it, yep. the, the developer in me saw all that now the the game player in me saw the story that i absolutely needed to find out more about it's an sure. explorative game it has a loop mechanic so the time starts over um in a similar way as uh the outer wilds for as, as an example where you know you replay the yep. same thing multiple times but you keep your memory uh and it's delightfully full of a bunch of surprises a bunch of surprises it kept surprising me at each turn so that that's my number four i highly recommend it if you like narrative games the voice acting was good i laughed at some points uh it's uneven in production value like it had pretty models good environment janky animations based on skyrim i guess (laughs) yeah sure yeah that, that tracks that tracks yeah that tracks exactly uh, so it's uneven, and you, people might dismiss it based on screenshots or uh, or gameplay videos, but it's actually an, a really an excellent experience. One of the better games of the year. Awesome! I will definitely look into that. It's on Game Pass, so like, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I, I assume it's still on Game Pass, but I had played it on Game Pass a couple of months ago. Nice, nice. What the, is your number three? My number three is the Artful Escape. I have this... this game installed, and I have not touched it, and it is one of my biggest regrets. <laughs> so the Artful Escape is not the kind of game I would expect to like. There's very few mechanics in it. It's kind of a rhythm game. Uh, mm-hmm. There are no fail states, really. You can just keep trying forever. Uh, it's not for that. It's it's for the philosophy of the approach of the game and what it, and the story that it tells that I thought it was incredibly inspiring. It's okay. about a uh, musician who explores why they they want to create or he wants to create music and it's just about like basically the 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 
the his his path takes him in very surprising, very spoilerific ways that I don't want to talk about sure, without like ruining sure. the surprise. So the yeah. beginning of the game is definitely not the middle, and it's definitely not the end. Um, mechanically, it's extremely light. Like there's a jump button, but you never really need to jump. They could have just removed that. Like just to give you an idea of how light on mechanics it is. Sure. Uh, yeah. It, it nails some game feel moments, like with, with when you're jumping and playing a riff of a guitar, just the right moment. It just feels really good. But really, it's about like the dialogue and the philosophy behind why we create art and what makes art important to to some people. That's that was worthwhile. Like it was. Uh, sure. A philosophy discussion in game form, and I highly uh, recommend it to people who are questioning why they're still in the gaming industry or what is art or all those questions, especially game devs. I think there's something in there for everyone, but game devs can get a lot out of this game. It's very sure. inspirational. The cast is also incredible with Mark Strong and Lena yes. Haiti and Carl Weathers. That's, yes. man, yes, yeah, so that's good. incredible. So good. All right, I'm um, noticing a, a bit of a through line between yes. a, your game so far. That it's it's the narrative. It's the narrative it's the that narrative. really pulls you in. Yeah, I so, am. Uh, I'm a very like character plot minded person. I really love narratives uh, more than anything else. I'm actually very mechanically inclined as well, but like that's just part of it. If 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 you're just good at mechanics and don't have a good narrative layer, I won't play your game long. I just won't be that invested in it. That's why. Yeah, I am. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'll have fun with the. I'll have fun with the thirty-second loop that you've created with your mechanics. Yeah. What keeps me doing that for ten hours is a story that makes me like interested to keep going. Yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Number two. Okay. So number two and number one, honestly, are interchangeable. I struggled with a lot with with figuring out which one of these two games are my number one. Uh, and I could, I go back and forth a lot. So I, I put them in this order because this is the one I landed on them a little bit more. Uh, okay. So my number two is Inscription. Sure. Ins- sure. Inscription is everything I've ever wanted to play in a game and make in a game. It's I love card games. That's I make them for fun. I teach uh, through non-digital games as well before we get into the digital part. So I love card, ga- card games. And Inscription is a solid card game on its own, and I think I would have loved it if it was just that. But, but. on top of that... <laughs> sure. <laughs> on top of that, it's also an escape room game with good escape room puzzles. And on top of that, it's also... An, like I, I don't know how much I could say without spoiling it, but it's so much more. Yeah. Suffice it to say that when I beat the game, I realized... It took me a while to realize I didn't actually beat the game at all. And I was sure. about to play the game. And I really <laughs> was convinced that I beat it. I'm like, wow, that was great. What a great experience. What is what? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I, had, yeah. I had that what moment so many times after I thought I've discovered everything this game had to offer. And it was excellent. Like it was an excellent dis- like game at at that point, and it sure. kept surprising me. And that's why, honestly, this could have been my game of the year. It could have sure. Been. Like it, it would have this been game, very. It's one of those games that just like broadsided the community as a whole. Yes. Yes. Like everyone's like, "Oh, a card game. Who means?" And then they got into it, and they're like, "What the f- what yeah. the heck? Like, why? Why is this happening?" And then I remember watching someone stream the moment they realized that. Without spoiling too much, you can stand up from the table. Yep, yep. And they were yep. like, "What the fuck? Why is this? What is happening?" 
Yeah. And I was like, this this might be the best game this year, just because it shows up like we're this we're just this thing. Yeah. And then a few hours later, you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> it no, it's is so not. many different things. So well done, so well executed, incredibly enjoyable. And what I mean is, the parts are amazing on their own like really if it was just that card game that was a solid card game that i could have potentially spent sure. like hundreds of hours on like i could have it was a good game yeah but it was so much more than that shocking uh with an incredible narrative that's that goes from one of like one part of the game to the next in in surprising ways i'm trying my best to pick my words so i don't spoil it for anyone because it really is very easy to spoil game that would ruin a lot of it i don't want to spoil it uh play inscription if you like either card games or uh escape room games or even if you just don't hate those genres i think that's enough if you don't hate those genres sure uh jump straight in you're not gonna regret it excellent game if you like a little spooky mixed in also, yes. like, yes. do that. Yeah. Yes. 100%. All right. So, so now, your, inter- your interchangeable number one. What is my that? My number one yeah. was Re- Returnal. Okay. This is so, a game because I don't have a PS5, I have not played. But I've uh, heard a lot of good things. So, Returnal is not a perfect game. And I, my list of things I love about it is almost as list as long as a list of things I don't like about it. Which would be normally surprising for a number one of game of the year. But what they do well... They do so exceptionally well that it okay. really, really deserves the spot. Now, I have to give you um, a little bit of a heads up. I'm not good enough to beat this game. I've tried to beat it many times. I've gotten sure. pretty far, but I'm, I just, like, I hit a ceiling where I can't get past it, uh, a certain boss. So it's fine. It's not the end of the yeah. world. I will yeah. eventually get back to it, or hopefully they release cheat codes for it or something to make to make that a little <laughs> right. bit easier. A PC version yeah. with hacks, whatever. I'll I'll take it because I want to see the rest. Um, sure. It's basically a uh, another looping game where you play the same thing and keep your memory, which is, I think it's uh, for the last couple of years this has been the trend. Uh, inspired Why do you think possibly- that is? I think the uh, the Outer Wilds did such a good job of that in 2019 that a lot of yeah. people were just like, okay, this is a good thing. Because Deathloop was also that, and you mm-hmm. know, a lot of games kept that. I think it's an excellent uh, pre- premise because it allows you to reuse a lot of real estate, like in the game, the like, levels and sure. mechanics, and uh, and uh, like still have that moment of of discoverability for the player to be like, oh, it's like the last time, except. So I think yeah, it's, it's yeah. Yeah, it allows developers to not just not you know it's more elegant in in its approach, right? So you sure. can do a lot more with a lot less. Um, so that's it. And so far, it's been popular. It hasn't been done to death yet. Uh, there, there could be a time where you know I, <laughs> I, I I take that back and I'm like, oh yeah, we've seen too many of these. But right now, I I, I still see if, if that comes out as a mechanic. It's not a deterrent. People are like, still excited to to try yeah. it and see what sure. it is. 100%. Um, so it's like that. It's an action adventure game where the combat is unparalleled. Like it's so so good. It feels incredibly tight uh, for a third person game on its own. It's a it's like a bullet hell, but there's you know melee as well, and the the bosses are incredibly difficult. Where you see all these things that you have to dodge at the same time. Uh, incredibly well executed mood. One of the best moods. Like. Uh, it, it 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 there's there's nothing that doesn't feel like it's carved out of the same stone 
like everything yeah. permeates the same sense of dread um there's the the narrative is super strong and very enticing so there's a lot of parts of it where like i have no idea what's happening but i really want to know like <laughs> sure you know i really really want to figure this out so they do that very well the world that you're discovering is fresh and new the character you feel through what she feels um it's so well crafted the parts that i thought i would have preferred happen better is like it's a it's a rogue light you carry very little it doesn't get much easier the more you play it because it, like very sure. tiny amount easier so in terms of that like in terms of i don't want to say accessibility because difficulty and accessibility are not the same thing but to a certain degree but i play games all the time i'm pretty good at games and i got to a point where my runs were so long and i felt so little progress at the end of a run in terms of both my skill improving and what i gained out of it that it went from oh my god this is the best experience ever to i can't do a second run today sure and that that's not a great feeling it doesn't yeah. take away from the rest of the game but that was enough for me to be like okay maybe inscription is yeah is, sure you know bumps to the top but it goes back and forth and i think returnal is, the, is like both of those are excellent games that are going to stick with me forever they're aspirational and inspirational in so many ways sure sure do you want to hear about the games that didn't make the top 10 that i really liked yeah, yes really, like in, in really fast right yeah yeah sure so it takes two i'm playing it with my daughter we're absolutely loving it we're very close to the finish i assume uh excellent co-op game one of the best co-op games ever made the humor didn't really hit for me but it hit so hard for my daughter and she laughed so hard that i you know i, I got joy out of it from that sure, uh, sure but the rest it's extremely well crafted it changes mechanically it didn't just have introduced two mechanic me mechanics and milk them throughout the game it's a different every level introduces new things so there's a, a lot of discoverability well well crafted what a uh, challenge in terms of yes. development and design too yes. to like also a risk, right? Like yeah, a lot of games yeah. are the way they are because like we figured out a loop. Yep. We're going to let that carry you through the game and we'll change it a little bit. Yep. And uh, it takes two, throws it out the window and goes, what, a, what about this new stuff? Yeah. And what if you had to learn the game completely differently this time? Which yep. is such a risk, but works so well. It works they so well. Nailed it. They nailed it. And I, I suspect that it's because they came up with they designed twice what they needed and kept only the best because every single time they introduced something new, it was good. It, like yeah. they didn't have to tough through a moment. I actually loved each one. Yeah. Uh, so it takes two. Definitely almost made the top five. Definitely my top ten. Uh, okay. The Guardians of the Galaxy game that took me com by complete surprise. That game uh, shouldn't have been that good. <laughs> oh, it should not. The, narratively, it it was so much fun. Like there were sequences. The, it, really, what made that game is the voice acting and the writing of of the of the characters. Um, and these yes. they talk a lot. They're constantly bickering and bantering in the background. And there were so many moments where I'm like, okay. I see this is, that's the trigger. That's how I'm going gonna, gonna to trigger the next right. cutscene. But they're not done talking. So I'm just going to put down my controller for a while and hear what sure. else I have to say. Sure. And then I'm going to, like, that happened so many times. That's never happened to me before. When I'm usually like, next thing, next thing, next thing. Here I'm like, I just want to hear them talk because the character, yeah. the personality of the characters comes through in such a strong way. It almost feels like they're just vamping, right? Like yeah, they're doing improv. Yeah. Yeah. It actually feels natural. I remember going like the opposite direction of an objective because, you know, games taught us that you go right or you go forward towards the light. But if you go the opposite way, some designers will reward you with a little nugget of like, hey, look, you, you did yeah. the thing you weren't supposed to. 
But when you do that in a lot of games, there's nothing about it that like acknowledges it except for the thing you get. And walk in the opposite direction, Rocket's like, okay, guess we're going over here. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, okay. And then they start talking, and you're like, oh, man. For a game that's narrative so narrative, like narrative so important to that being yeah. good, yeah. for them to take the risk, one, of differentiating themselves completely from the James Gunn you know, representation of the Guardians, but more than that, to make them as potentially annoying as they are, <laughs> And just be super confident in your writing team to be able to make them not annoying but genuinely interesting is, again, just like It Takes Two, a tremendous risk. And then when it, like, won awards, the development team and, like, the people in charge of writing were like, yeah, no, we we realized at one point it's going to be one of two things. The most annoying game ever or very good. And they nailed it. It's it's incredible. They nailed it. I'm so I'm so happy I, I like that I got I, I have a lot of friends who worked on it because it was made in Montreal, yeah. And uh, I did not expect this at all. I just did it. It's yeah. Not, also, and, it's the team that made Deus Ex, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the, who would have thought they had that in them? That <laughs> makes know, no sense. I know. Like, <laughs> and it, I'm not trying was, to say like I didn't believe no, no, in no. them as developers, but like no. Deus Ex is a very specific immersive sim that is yes. not funny yes and then this is like it's like it goes out of its way not to be funny <laughs> yeah deus ex yeah. tries really hard to make you realize we're very serious yes exactly and then guardians of the galaxy can't get out of the way of how funny it's it it is it's so um I, it's, I, yeah. I loved it i loved every minute of it uh i loved i'm already a huge fan of the guardian of the galaxy movies uh especially the first yeah. one uh, Drax is one of my favorite characters in the MCU because he's hilarious. <laughs> he's so good. So he's it's so good. shocking to me that Drax in the game it actually I preferred Drax in the game than Drax in the movie because I loved <laughs> Drax in 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 the in the movie. I really did. But Drax in the game, you got to spend more time with him. Right. And, and like and that was it took me it took me by surprise. Like his his inability to understand metaphors it, like cranked up to <laughs> to to 11 it was so good so good. yeah it's incredible yeah I, I i don't know if you want to hear about a few more for good for yeah yeah do a few more and then i'll run you through my top my top five yeah i'd love to hear your top five okay this is the surprising one in my top 10 that nobody's ever heard of it's a small indie game called slice and dice that you could play either on your pc or mobile I've never heard anyone else mention it this year. Someone recommended it in a random Discord for a, a little time waster. It's just a simple RPG with die rolling mechanics, but it's so elegant, so well crafted, and it was so much fun. Um, highly recommend it. Really, 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 really good game. Okay. Um, doesn't have a lot of moving parts. It's addictive as all hell. It's so, so, so good. All right. So how will that one? That. There's also Backbone. Backbone yes. is a point-and-click adventure game where you don't point-and-click. <laughs> I played it on console, so you don't point-and-click on console. Sure. Um, there are parts of it that I liked and parts that I didn't like, but the parts I liked were really, really good. The pixel art was superb. It's very uh, good, I'm a yeah. huge fan of pixel art. I used to actually create pixel art when I was younger. Nice. And uh, they, they did that really well. The story takes a weird turn that I'm still not sure if I like or not, and I'm waiting for the sequel to, to tell you. But until that weird turn, I loved every minute of it, and I wanted more. It creates a really believable world. 
uh, and then shows you the the the, the t turn is like it shows you behind the curtain for a second. You're like, wait, what? I'm not sure how I feel about this. But that yeah. happens very close to the end. So I I understand why not a lot of people put in their top ten because it was divisive in that way. Uh, but like, it's sometimes games even if they don't make it to the end and keep the same expectations sometimes what they do before that is still worth it uh other sure. times they could fall flat on their face like 12 minutes did not make my top 10 for yeah, that reason sure sure where i'm like uh no i mean it was it was trending to be one of my favorite games of the year and then, and then you hit that plot out. twist and went what no yeah <laughs> like backboard i'm not sure what i think about the plot twist 12 minutes i know what i think about the, the plot <laughs> sure twist. Sure. Yeah. I remember reading oh. reviews of, of um, Backbone and people, the thing that stood out to me most was people were really upset that it's sad. Yeah. Like there's some sad, it's like not a super happy story. Um, and people were like, it bummed me out. So it gets a bad rating and it's like, hold on. <laughs> That's yeah. not how that works. Yeah. Um, I, sad there sad is, games are there allowed to be good. I agree 100%, and we're allowed to make and enjoy sad games. I think I know what they're talking about. I didn't have the same experience with Backbone, but I think I know what they're talking about. Like, if you have you ever watched Terminator Salvation? That's my go to example for this phenomenon. Um, that's the Christian Bale one, right? That is a Christian Bale one. Yes, I have. I have. So, Terminator Salvation uh, was a movie that I realized halfway through I didn't care if anyone died of <laughs> the good people because yeah, they were miserable. The world yeah. was horrible. They were living in terrible conditions. No, no one smiles or tells a joke the entire movie. And so I you're like, wanted... if you die, they're like, it's not yeah. gonna make your life any worse. Yeah, I'm like, this is sure. it's a relief at this point. Death would be a relief from what, you're, what you have to live through. Because yeah. they didn't show that potential, that hope, that like joy yeah. that they're fighting for. Um, so I understand the feel, that, that feeling that some people have and people's thresholds or tolerance for it in narrative. It's, it's a very hard balance to strike where you could be like, look, situation is desperate, but if we succeed, and then that's what gets you to be like, okay, yeah. I, I want to succeed. Backbone didn't have that like effect on me, but I could understand how it could have it on other yeah. people. For me, it's more like, yeah, it was sad. It was but if I maybe uncover, because he was a detective in it, if I uncovered mm -hmm. something and 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 um, told the right people, maybe something could be done about it. So that sure. for me, I kept it throughout. Maybe other people yeah. didn't latch onto that. Kind of uh, reminds me of I mean. like you want, yeah. you need that hope, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. It kind of reminds me of the um, a book that I loved, but when watching, I was like, mm, uh, the road, which. Yeah. Cormac McCarthy doesn't write a single thing that has hope in it. That man either had a really good life and just wanted to write about what if life wasn't, or had a really hard life and just spilled that into pages. But I remember reading The Road and at the end being like, this is hopeful. The kid found like a new family. It's good. And then watching the movie and just the onslaught of just despair. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, I read this book and loved it despite its darkness but watching it was just like this nothing about this ever feels not even good good's like the top of the rung at that point nothing about this feels okay yeah it just feels bad so yeah i get that i get that like at a moment you just kind of go eh. i mean honestly to be a little com complete non sequitur that's why i stopped <laughs> watching uh walking dead yeah because i got to like season three and i was like i'm sorry 
no one's happy, I'll I'm gonna go watch The Office because at yeah. least I'll be happy. <laughs> so I, I actually only toughed it out because my wife liked it, uh, but I disconnected for the same reason very early on, and yep. like it's the TV show that I watch while I'm on my phone because I I, I just don't care what happens to the characters anymore. It get yep. keeps getting more depressing. It's yep. always the same thing. I am very sad because I was actually a really big fan of the comics. I stopped with the comics because it wouldn't end and I wanted closure and I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. Yeah, uh, sure. So it's a very, very, very different reason even though I really enjoyed it. Um, and I liked yeah. it because you never knew what was going to happen next. Like yeah. anyone could die at any point. Yeah, Kirkman's a little bit of a of a uh, monster for that. Yes. Everyone that you meet is, no one's, no one's safe. Plot armor doesn't exist. But in the comics, there were moments of joy, and those are few yeah. and far between in the TV show, and they miss yeah. that. You know, like in, in comic books, how the X-Men always had a, like, they play baseball now in this issue. That's all they're yeah. doing. They're just yeah. playing baseball and like... Just having know, fun. Just having fun before Magneto shows up again or whatever happens. Right, and sure. Those comics, I actually love them because they tell jokes, they like, you know, they're smiling, and it makes yeah. it all be like, this is what they're fighting for. Right. And yeah, The Walking Dead did that too, too, too seldom in the comics and not at all in the TV show. Yeah. Honestly, that's what makes for me, and I know we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy uh, already, that's what makes the MCU good to me. Yeah. Is that like there's huge amounts of like what's going to happen, this is really bad. But there's also large portions that are just them kind of cutting it up yeah. and like picking on each other. Yeah. And honestly, uh, as I mentioned early, before we started recording, uh, I went and saw Spider-Man on Tuesday night, yes. which, holy shit. Uh, I, there, that movie, well, this will be a brief departure from video games. That's it. No spoilers, please. No spoilers I, I at all. I will no not. <laughs> I will not. I am not that guy. I would hate myself if I were to accidentally make something uh, clear that they didn't know. Because I'm incredibly invested in the MCU. I've watched Man. everything MCU multiple times. Uh, like, yeah. And I, I'm a little behind because of the whole COVID situation in theaters. I haven't watched Eternals or Spider-Man. Those are the only two MCU things I haven't watched. Sure, um, sure. So please. Like, I mean, I up to date, even with Hawkeye, the episode, like, Hit just yesterday so I'm up yeah to i'm behind on hawkeye and i've heard good things happen the last yeah, two episodes yeah, and i need to watch <laughs> um no spider-man had all the potential in the world to be a train wreck and i don't say that because i don't believe in the mcu but when you start talking about the multiverse yeah and start pulling things from different places it's there's scary. just this potential for it to not exactly land on the rail right you know like yeah. if you drop the needle on a record just off the right place and you start in the middle of the song instead of the beginning yeah. and walking out of that movie i've rarely gone into a movie with expectations as high as that and come out with those expectations having been completely jumped over um it might be my favorite i keep saying might it's my favorite marvel movie it might Whoa. be the best it might be the best marvel movie like that good my friend like Endgame was yes. the last bar that i had Yes. And the, I hold this movie above Endgame now. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I am super hype and excited. Endgame is definitely my top three favorite MCU movies. Yeah. My, my favorite is Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> That's completely understandable. That movie's it's incredible. so fun. It was just a fun, fun ge uh, movie. And uh, yeah. like... Yeah, I'm super excited for this. I loved all the Spider-Mans, and I can't wait to watch it. I'm so... Yeah. Like, we're going to watch it next week. We're going to yeah. find the time. You're going to have to be very careful on the internet. Yeah. Don't let don't let anybody spoil this for you. But, yeah, yeah. Let me, there are surprises. Yeah. There are a ton of surprises. Stick around after the credits. There yeah. are two. 
There's a mid ones and a, and, a, and an end credits one. The end credits one is not what I expected at all, uh, wow. and it's very good. Um, yeah, movie's great. Movie's great. Anyway, the balance of the balance of funny and sad and not scary in terms of horror, but scary in terms of like, what if they lose? It's so well honed in the Marvel movies yeah. that like. I wish that all games were like that. I wish that all shows were like that. But yeah, but you know, t- connecting it all back to everything. Yeah. Um, I get why people would have had a disconnect with Backbone. I get why people like us had a disconnect with The Walking Dead. There's a balance that you have to strike. And that the balance is different for everybody. Exactly. Yeah, we, we both have friends, I'm sure, who are diehards of Walking Dead to this day. And that just wasn't me. Yeah, and and it's 100% fair. I'm, I'd like, like I said, my wife loved loved the show so she kept watching it and i kept watching it with her for sure. that reason i don't like i like when people enjoy things even if they're not the same things that i enjoy but i yeah. also like analyzing why i like and don't like a thing and why other people like it as well and that's fair as well right yeah that's, that's i mean i've been a game, game critic yeah i've been a yeah. game critic for a decade understanding right. that i'm gonna love something someone else isn't or vice versa is paramount to being able to write about things from any point of view i think absolutely do we have time um, for your top five, ten? I, I have time here. if you have time. Yeah, I have time. Bring it. All right, then let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, my, my list I don't think is in any particular order except for number one, All and right. it's a weird number one. But uh, I'll start like you did at five. Five for me is Hitman Three. Ooh. Which, despite its terrible localization in terms of like <laughs> written language, yes. <laughs> um. Which I still to this day don't understand how you don't just like ask one person. I know it's always um, like that, but you know that's. I a haven't thing. played it actually. I, it's been on my list of games to play the entire year. I just didn't get. Yeah. That. Sure. <laughs> Have you played one and two? I played one of them, not one. I think it was Blood Bloodlines or so. What was it called? Blood something. Have you played like the the two from this trilogy though? Hitman. No, 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 no. Just Hitman I've... and then Hitman Two. No, the only okay. Hitmans I've played were ancient old Hitman. Sure, great yeah, games, but they're very good what games. Was it called? Yeah, blood something. <laughs> there was there was blood, mm, blood money, blood money. That's the one I played. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. blood. There's the first Hitman, and then there's blood money, and then I think there's Absolution. Yeah, I think there's I one bought of... that one but didn't play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So these these three, and the reason I think this game is in my top five for the year is that the last three games. Um, started this world of assassination storyline that, like, I don't know if you've seen um, Daredevil. You're a Marvel oh. fan. <laughs> no, John Wick yeah, is, is an excellent <laughs> reference. But you're a Marvel fan. Um, yeah, the the opening it. credits to Daredevil, yeah. right, where it's, like, blood dripping down and, like, making sculptures with it, that was designed by a guy named Patrick Clare. Okay. Um, his work in opening titles is renowned and like he won a uh, an emmy for the hitman or the daredevil opening and then he went on to do i don't know if you remember like the division and the division two both had really really fascinating like infographic yeah cinematic openings that was also him wow um he did the opening of look this guy up yeah he's great he did an opening of a ghost recon game that i think is like all it looks like it's all marble statues that's also him Wow. He did a video for he did the trailer for the first Hitman that was a world of assassination. And it's this infographic based like clocks turn into like the hands of a clock turn into rifles when it rotates up and like bullets turn into like bouquets of flowers. Wild stuff. 
just mm. the most creative stuff. That's how they introduced this trilogy. And what the games are, essentially just really lean into like every facet from the UI design to the briefings you get to the missions themselves. It makes you feel like you are just an assassin hmm. who's gotten a briefing, who is going and doing the job. And the sandbox they give you in the levels, it's not open world, right? But they give you little hubs. Each of those sandboxes is so diverse with opportunity that like I you can go to Sapienza and like you can just go and shoot the targets if you want. Or you can find a way into the kitchen and poison their food. And then when they go to the bathroom to throw up, you can take care of them there. Or you can make like a boat that's hanging off the side of a dock fall on top of them on accident. And no one would be any the wiser that this was on purpose. So Hitman that's 3, so the third the third that's game in this. That's what makes Hitman good, right? It's yeah, that, absolutely. It's the agency that the player has and how they approach a thing. I remember absolutely. one of the Hitmans I played, there was a play that was happening and you just had to put a bullet in the in the gun, and the, the sure. will take care of itself. And, and then the like, yep. the the person will just like pull the trigger, and that's how it's just done. And you're like, what? And you're standing in the back, like with yes. your arms crossed, like yes. I wonder how that happened. And then exactly. you just sneak out the back. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so the good. reason Hitman Three's on this list for me is there's a mission three quarters of the way through, where uh, Agent Forty Seven is completely burned. I won't give you the circumstances and and I won't tell you why, but he's completely burned and he's in Berlin. And the mission is to get out of this area, but there are people coming after you. And for the first time in these three games, you don't know who your targets are. You don't know what they look like and you don't know where they are. Okay. And so like, it feels so, it feels so much like a Jason Bourne movie. Yeah. And those movies are very near and dear to my heart. Of course. Um, I climbed a tower to get a lay of the land and a bullet whizzed past my head. And I was like, oh, and had to climb down. And that's how I learned that there's a sniper somewhere watching. And then I had to figure out where he was. There was no, like, he's over there. It was just, and I was like, oh, I can't be up here. I can't be up here. And you're walking around like these Berlin nightclubs full of people. And there are people hunting you the whole time. It's so good. That is so good. It's so good. That's the best argument I've had to play the game. And I've yeah, wanted to great. play it the whole year. So. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely should, worth okay. it. Okay, so my question to you, should I start at one or is it okay to jump in at three? It's okay to jump in at three. I, I'm fully I'm fully confident in that. The other cool thing is if you want to spend like an additional 30 or 40 bucks, I think, you get, because they built the UI so compatibly, yeah. for that little extra amount, you can connect hitman one two and three in the same game oh okay and so like the the menus all fold into each other and so it goes from like the seven areas you go in the third game mm-hmm. to like the 20 total areas you go in all three games and wow. you can play through them mix and match them do whatever you want it's great it's great wow, it just okay. feels like you have this book of opportunity to dive into anywhere you want I'm it's very good excited i'm gonna um, bump it up on my list yeah absolutely <laughs> do it absolutely do it um, number four, some of mine are big games and that's not normal. Um, number four is, is Forza Horizon 5. Yeah, it's an excellent game. Because really it's really good. so good. And like for a game that I can just hop into when I've got 15 minutes as a dad, you know, you get like, yeah, oh, I've got half an hour before I need to go to bed or half an hour in between finishing lunch and more work. That's just exactly in. my relationship with Forza, by the way. I play yeah. it 15 minutes at a time. I'm just like, okay, what's the closest race? I'll let's yep. just do that. 
that felt good. All right, now I'll just go make breakfast for the kids or whatever. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sometimes I'll like spend my whole 30 minutes making a car because I know yeah. next time I sit down, I want to drive that. Yeah. Uh, and then, the, of course, the next time is like, I made a car that's good for drifting. Let's go find some curvy roads. And then I'm yeah. done. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's really compatible for like a fast and easy way to have fun. Uh, a lot like 2018 Spider-Man game. Yeah, like yeah, that was good. Just hop in for ten minutes and swing around New York, and you're like, "I'm in a better mood today." Like, it's yeah. perfect. <laughs> Absolutely, oh, that's well put. And Miles Morales continued that, and and Miles Morales oh. did continue that. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with its like, it's like leaning into the fact that Miles is like Puerto Rican and like yes. walking yes. past windows and being like, "Oh yeah, that's yeah. how it is." It's so yeah. great. It's yeah. so great. I absolutely um, loved it. <laughs> it's great uh my number three is gonna be death loop oh yeah because that game was great and that comes from me having been a huge fan of dishonored one and two yeah and then death loop being like remember the last two games we made where if you weren't stealthy we we kind of penalized you for it yeah death loop was like what if we gave you the whole playground and took away all the rules yeah. And you can blow stuff up, make a mess, make a bunch of noise, and if you screw up bad enough, you'll start over. Start over. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. The style is incredible. Yeah. I remember walking to the first couple of places and being like, "Oh man, I want to live here." It's yeah. so cool. But so more than Death that, Loop was my most anticipated game of this year. Like sure. Seeing the trailers and everything, uh, I did play it. I actually loved the art direction. I loved a lot of things about it, but I fell off of it a little bit hard. And I think it's because I played other things at the same time and I should have just dedicated my, my time to it. So sure. I'm going to give it another shot, but I'm trying to decide if I should give it another shot by continuing where I left off or by really just starting fresh. And I can't sure. decide. So. I think my favorite part about that game is uh, Colt. Yeah. Oh, His yeah. voice actor is oh, yeah. so good. So good. Like so the, first good. Time you, the first time you die and he wakes back up on the beach and he's just like that was fucking ridiculous <laughs> it's so well de- it's it. so well delivered absolutely um there's a moment where you're like supposed to open a safe and find a plan to get out and you're like here it is the big hole and he opens the safe and goes oh that's not that's not what i wanted and just like <laughs> just the emotional like yeah. delivery of all of his lines are so good i love I it to death 100% agreed 100% um, my number two and my number one are kind of a mix. I can, again, like you, I can Same switch them me. in and out. Yeah. Uh, my friends and I had a huge amount of fun with The Ascent. Oh, okay. I have, that, like, I only played it very briefly. I don't have an opinion of it. Yeah. So it's, so it's, it's good, huh? It's very good. It's not perfect, but, like, for the, like, it's like a team of 12 people hmm. or something like that. It's really small. It's absolutely beautiful. And playing with your friends and just the amount of chaos that ensues is a blast. Um, It was also a game that we kind of bled through quickly. So I went back and played a bunch on my own. It's also very fun by yourself. It's not as like I can run through places. You actually have to like use cover. (laughs) Um, But for a top-down twin stick kind of game that also introduces or uh, incorporates a cover system, it's unique and it feels really good. And also I should make it clear. I'm biased. I'm a huge fan of cyberpunk stuff. So if you yeah. give me anything cyberpunk, I'm just going to eat it with my bare hands. Forget the, forget the silverware. Yeah. Um, and then 
My is that number your number one, one? Was it Cyberpunk? No, no. My number <laughs> one is actually a bit of a, a bit of an outlier for me. My my number one is oh. Sable. Oh yeah, that was really good. I did play Sable. I loved that game, and especially like after a year and a half of just like being stuck inside, one, yeah. not being able to go see people, two, uh, and three. At the exact time I played this game, I injured my back. Uh, my uncle is a personal trainer. Uh, and so I was working out and I set like a new record or something, uh, a new personal record for deadlift. And I did something to my back. Oh, no. <laughs> and so for like two months, walking was the worst. I'm so sorry. Uh, well, I appreciate it. I'm all right now. It's, it comes up occasionally. It flares up occasionally. But for like two and a half months, just yeah. not great. And so like this game gave me the opportunity to just explore and it didn't have i didn't have to worry about fighting anything right yeah. like the the boss battles if you could call them that are big climbing challenges yeah. that's about it um but like the exploration the sound design the soundtrack from japanese breakfast um the un i talked to i talked to rami about this yesterday it's so not american no yeah that, i that love was it my favorite part so much it. yeah the like names of the characters felt like yeah. so not what you would normally expect from a fantasy setting making up names where it's like John but two J's or <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just spelled differently or right. it actually like it was inspired clearly by like North Africa or the Middle East mm-hmm. or, or Africa yeah. in general or and I that I appreciated big time. There's a lot of things I really loved about about Sable. Uh, it didn't. It didn't hook me for as long as I wanted it to. So maybe I'll give it another try with your endorsement. Yeah, it was I one of those it things. For like two three hours. I, I played it for yeah. around that long. I think I only played it for ten to complete it, so it's not huge. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. There's just again with the sci-fi uh, love that I have. There's something about like flying through the desert and being like, I'm gonna go to that mountain, and then getting closer and being like, that's not a mountain, that's a crashed ship. And it's huge. And like, yeah. as you play, you figure out the history of like why this world's like this. And it's not like post-apocalyptic. Like everyone that's living there is happy and content and like has jobs. And I love the idea of like sending your youth out to explore the possibility of the world around them without risk and then letting them come back and decide what they want to be because that's something that so many people don't get the opportunity to do. Um yeah, I absolutely loved it. I, I um, what what I loved about it is that this this part stuck out is that because it didn't have voice actors, um, it couldn't rely only on on text dialogue, um, and so the the way they solved that problem is by actually having openings to dialogue similar that you would read in a book. This person felt like this and this, and they're approaching you with like like with this tone. So you, when you're reading the 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 dialogue in your head, you adjust to the the con- the context that they're providing you, and it like that was clever. And I hadn't seen that in a game before yeah. or since, but you know, it just came out not too long ago. So give it time. Yeah, but sure. The, right. <laughs> as as a solution to a game design problem that I haven't that I've encountered in the past, a solution that I haven't encountered before. That was clever and noteworthy. Yeah. Because yeah. not 100%. everybody has a budget to have... Voice acting is expensive and it's time-consuming. Yeah. And it really... Uh, you have to even add a buffer to when you release the game because you need to be able to do retakes. Changing a line in text is seconds. 
uh, having it get translated by someone else's days, having it have to be re-recorded as weeks, and you have to sure. account for that. And yeah. so, like, there's that, like, being able to do that and solve that problem, I thought was really clever. Especially with the way game design is, narrative so often is something. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound negative, but it's so often something that's like secondary or tertiary to making the game work. So that like you may have a narrative fully written and then get to a point where you have to crunch a deadline and you're like, ah, we have to take that level out because yep. it's not quite done. And we have to change this one drastically because if we want to fit all of this in time, that can't be full. So then the narrative has to like rebalance all those things. And if that narrative is tied to, like you said, to voice acting, that's like, all right, these like 10 lines you read that were in a calm situation are changed to 15 lines and it's no longer calm it's high intensity so you have to like either speed through it or kind of yell through it and like retaking all that stuff is it's work it's tedious it's tedious yeah, yeah it's a lot of work yeah. um, it's not just well you just have the voice actor come in and record it no 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 you have to integrate those and you have to test yep. them and you have to see if it sounds right. And already just recording it the first time, you have to allow for retakes just in case it doesn't work. The second time you have to be extra cautious. So you record extra lines because you know that if you have to come back to the sound booth, it's going to delay the game even longer. Right. So it's, it's, it's a lot more stressful, a lot more intense. So like people think that voice acting in a game is a given because they've seen it these days so often in AAA games. But indies, it's a choice and it's a difficult choice. Sure. Uh, we saw that with Disco Elysium where the first version of the game they released had no voice acting. And right. It took them, was it two years to yep. be able to patch it and add voice acting? Two? Yeah. I, I love, and that's like, not that's not uncommon right that's no. a lot of time to make sure that works but like that's what that that's what that work needs yes. is all that time there's a, a a factoid i've learned about the marvel spider-man game and i'm sure i think miles morales does it too when you're talking on the phone specifically in the first game was the first time i noticed it when he's on the phone with yuri the police officer he's friends with if you're standing still the voice lines are delivered as if Spider-Man's standing still. If yeah. you're swinging, the voice lines all change. Yeah. And you can tell he's exerting himself. And yeah. the moment I realized that they recorded every voice line in those segments twice, yeah. and that they developed an engine that would recognize what he was doing to deliver the correct read of those, it's so incredible. Yes. Uh, and that's like, well put. And there's another system that we're seeing more and more uh, I, I noticed it uh, in Days Gone. I, I, can't, I can't remember the first game I noticed it in. But if you're interrupted, the characters will often have a second line that picks up where you left off but yeah. delivers it differently. As mm -hmm. I was saying, and then it's not the same line that I played the first time. It's a more like it's briefer, it's quicker to get to the yeah. point, summing up what you might have missed. And that means they would have to account for such a large number of possible interruptions and record so many lines to yeah. make that work. Dude, it's... God of War is the first time I noticed that yeah. because you'll be like telling a story to Atreus in the boat and then stop yeah. to do something. Yeah. And he'll be like, we'll come back to that. And then you get back in the boat and sometimes it's not even Kratos. No. Sometimes Mimir, the little head on your, yeah. on your hip is like, tell him that story you were saying. And then like, you're like, Oh, <laughs> oh, that's right. We were talking about that. And it's just so natural. Yes. Yeah, so well done. So well it's done. It's great.
Just, uh, just to give an idea of the, the things that require so many systems to work so well and so much work and thoughtfulness from so many people that we don't notice. Right. Like, that you have right. to like that you just go over your head so many times before that one time where you some people will pick up on it but most people will play through it and not even notice and if they if right. you don't notice it that means they did a good job <laughs> exactly exactly it's one of those like thankless almost jobs yes. that's like you you didn't notice it because it was done well but that should be the reason that you notice it but like you can't blame someone for not noticing it cuz no. that's what you want you yes. want them to just experience it it's wild. One of the one of the big things that Rami and I ended up talking about was just that like there's a lot to games that people don't realize. Yeah. And this year especially being a year after, you know, COVID completely changed the game design landscape. Yeah. There's been a lot of games that like either got pushed to next year, which good for them. I hope that doesn't mean that they crunch the whole time because there's a a work culture mm-hmm. problem in America specifically, and I think in the games industry at large. General, but like yeah. the games that did come out this year, like Forza had a lot of connectivity issues, but they had like 10 million users in the first like two weeks. Yeah. There's not a chance in hell that they knew that that was going to happen. No way. And like server side fixes are so hard to implement because is it in the code? Is it server based? Can we push the update through a server? Or do we have to push the update directly to the download of the game so that we change the code in the game? How do we and do that without? It is so difficult. How do you test it across yeah. multiple people playing at the same time without putting it live so that multiple people play it at the same right. time? It's right. that's why server server issues are so common for games that just come out. It's not like why these these devs didn't test this. They tested it with a hundred thousand people in their open beta, and then twenty million people played on the first day. What do you expect? <laughs> like, you <laughs> the know, scale increase the, is exactly. exponential. They did their best. <laughs> yeah, they did. They, they did their best. Exactly. Uh, the same with you know, Battlefield had some issues. I still yeah. genuinely enjoy that game, but yes. like, I understand why some people are like, "I'll wait." Uh, Halo also. That's my honorary uh, top top five. By the way, I'm such a huge fan of Halo that like to me that's gonna be my favorite game of the year because. I do a podcast with my grandma about video games and we've been we did this season about Halo because like we both oh absolutely love Halo. That's amazing. Um, oh yeah, I have not wait for the co-op so you can Cannot play wait. Cannot wait. Yeah, because she she'll play the multiplayer with us, but she's convinced that she I'm too old. I'm not going to get good at multiplayer and it's like that's fine. You don't have to. Yeah. But like the fact that we can't play the campaign together is a bit of a bummer. But yeah. s- similar simultaneously I, as far as I am through the campaign already, it feels a lot like they're going to add a story expansion with the co-op that makes more sense because the story, I don't know if you've played Halo at all yet. I, I so just f- started it. I played it it's, maybe an hour. Yeah, I love it so much. I'm Like I said, I'm completely biased because I love those games with all my heart. Uh, I I don't know if you can see, but Halo, there's a Master the Chief. Halo? Yeah. There's a statue oh, up there. This it. whole bookshelf is covered in all Halo books. Like I'm a huge Halo nerd. Um, I, I played a lot of Halo multiplayer in college with friends, so I, I like that. I didn't. Really I feel like everybody did. Yeah, 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 that was <laughs> Halo. Halo college time. was a thing. Yeah. Yes, uh, but I didn't really play too much of the single player. I played it whenever it was co-op, but I've missed a couple of Halo games. So the beginning of this Halo game that just picks up without a previously on, I was lost. I'm like, who's this? What's happening? 
what's going on? Sure. And it kind of like it's coming to me slowly, like piece by piece. Yeah. I'm getting the story of like you know who's still alive. Like, are, like at one point, I'm like, wait, are there just two humans left? Is I don't understand <laughs> what's happening. Like what's happening? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm still the in other that thing, world where I'm yeah. piecing the, the story together. Yeah. The other thing is that game does, I think it does that to you on purpose. Like, Chief gets knocked out for like six months. And when he wakes up, like, Cortana's gone. Atriox, the guy that is responsible for them or their situation, is dead somehow. Yeah. And you're like, how? Yeah. And I, I'm 12 hours in. I have no idea. Wow. I still don't know. Um, now I'm also 12 hours in because like I'm finding all of the small yeah, things yeah. in the world because <laughs> I'm I'm neurotic and I can't well, not course, do it. Do it, do it, enjoy it. But like, yeah, my my buddies and I were playing a couple nights ago and they were like, "Who who is this person? Yeah, and why? And like, the banished, the bad guys come from like the Halo Wars games, not the Halo core games. So when people were like, "Who are they?" I'm like, actually. And then I, for 10 minutes, I tell this backstory and they're like, first of all, you're a huge nerd. Second of all, thanks, because we had no idea. <laughs> That's incredible. Man, such a good game for, such a good year for games. I mean. It really has been. We didn't even mention like Ratchet and Clank, which was excellent. Yeah. We, we didn't mention Back for Blood, which was really fun. Back for uh, Blood was great. Was, Wildermyth, which was great, like D&D experience. Yeah, I really wanted to play that game and forgot about it, which I'm yeah. very sad that I did. But, like, yeah, the Not fact time. that, like, your character, there's still time, exactly. The fact that your characters take on traits that change yes. them throughout the game yep. so that you can start with a character. I remember listening to, like, I think the, the guys at Vice talk about, like, a character who wanted to leave the group and join a, a band of mercenaries. And then that turned out to be a trap. And that character lost her leg in that fight. Oh, wow. And then, like, her motivations changed completely to feeling guilty about doing that to the group. And then uh, she didn't lose the leg. It got turned to stone. Uh, so then she became, like, a soldier that used her stone leg or arm, whatever it was, in combat. And just, like, the fact that we're at a point in games now where you can, like, allow for those things to happen is insane. It is. I'm... Like so, to be honest, Older Myth was great. I didn't play it as much as I would have liked. I did play it. I didn't play it as much as I would have liked, because it was such a good year for games that there was so much. I yeah. There's there was also I know it's it's a remake, but the Mass Effect Legendary Edition is the first time I played through the Mass Effect games back to back with the same save file. Sure. And, like I just didn't. I I jumped from from platform to platform when I played it last, so it didn't. It felt disjointed and it didn't feel yeah. as uh into it so this is the first time i and i realized i never finished mass effect 2 the first time i played it i played one wow. finished it. i didn't finish two and i played three and finished it so i had this gap in my you had a gap yeah yeah so like this is the first time i played it from start to finish and i i absolutely loved it and uh, that was a great experience i would have put it in my top 10 if it wasn't a remake and i'm like i, I can't put a remake of three <laughs> in, in sure 10. that's uh, and I could go on like my there's Death's Door that was great. As Death's well. Door was very good. Is it was very difficult, frustrating, difficult in some parts, but <laughs> yes, so good. Uh, and though there was a really good indie indie game called Wild at Heart that I didn't hear many people talk about. It was yeah. a cross between Pikmin and kind of Luigi's Mansion, but with a really different aesthetic, and it's really beautiful game. 
um, which almost made it in my top 10 as well. So many, so many big blockbusters that I spent too much time in, like Far Cry 6, for example, was really good. Sure. Sure. If yeah. you like Far Cry, if you don't like Far Cry, it's not gonna change your mind. But if you like Far yeah, Cry, that game, that game is very, very Far Cry. And if you are not a big fan of Far Cry, I can understand why it wasn't your bag of chips. But for yeah. me, who absolutely loves Far Cry, yeah. Far Cry Six was perfect. Yeah, it's more Far Cry. That's all. I <laughs> exactly, for, so. it's all I wanted. Yeah, with a few yeah. innovations that I actually was was shocked when I played them. Uh, do you actually switch from first person to third person in villages? Yeah, and I I didn't realize I didn't from any other marketing from any of the trailers I did not I don't know if I didn't see it because he didn't put it or if I didn't click for me I don't know but it's the first Far Cry game to do that yeah and it made sense in the context because it had a progression system and it had a, a, like things that you could equip on you that you wanted to be able to see them and there's no combat in villages anyway that they don't allow you to shoot so mm-hmm. it, little things like that so it wasn't just a Far Cry it was a Far Cry Plus. But yeah. again, those things won't change your mind about Far Cry if you don't like right. Far Cry. Far Cry is Far also, Cry, more. yeah, yeah. It also added a lot of. It was almost like Ubisoft Plus because, like, yes. there are mechanics in that game that are borrowed from Ghost Recon, like the the convoys or the way the the map has little heat dots where enemies are. That's that's all from Ghost Recon, and then like, there's little division uh, aspects in it. And there's Far Cry bit. Like it just feels like they took a look at what Far Cry was and were like, how could we take systems we've already built yeah. and implement them here to make them make the game a little deeper? Which is interesting because I think that might be like the best plan going forward for some of these bigger games is rather than reinventing the wheel all the time, yeah. going, What we have stuff that works. What if we used it a different way instead of trying to start over? I agree. I'm really curious because I used to work at Ubisoft Montreal, so I, I used to be sit, sit beside people, you know, proverbially, not literally, sure. uh, who worked on all these big, uh, like you know, open world games. And I'm really curious. There was such a big shakeup in the in in that company recently. I'm curious what games they're going to make in the future because the the, sure. the criticism of UB games are are getting more and more similar is valid and the reason behind it was because it was the same people in power literally for a very long time and we were making the games they liked that was valid as well i saw that firsthand so i'm curious now that most of those people are not there anymore right what what that's going to mean for the future of ubisoft games are they going to lean into that which i doubt or are they gonna like we're still gonna start seeing surprising things come out of that studio yeah that i remember like that stuff all started to to domino effect in in 2020 and there was that realization it may have been before that that the realization came but there was that realization that like there was an editorial you know advisor over what games got made right and that that was if not one person, very few people for a very long time. Yeah. And the realization like, oh, well, Ubisoft games are starting to feel very similar. That might be because there's only been one person deciding what gets made and what it looks like when it gets made. And now that, like the editorial board of Ubisoft has changed completely. It's very diverse now. Um, it's multi-generational. It's, it's, it's just a completely different situation. And so, yeah, I'm very curious like you are to see like 
We're going to start. I hope I have, I, I have, hope. I'm an I optimist, hope. right? I, I try to be a tireless. I'm an optimist to the point that my friends call me captain America sometimes. Wow. And I, I wonder why they think that's an insult. Cause I'm just like, cool. <laughs> that's so that's fine. <laughs> but I say something and they're like, Oh, here comes captain America. I'm like, that's a, that's a compliment, honestly. But like, I'm optimistic that like what we see going forward are very unique experiences and they're making a star Wars game, yeah. which can't wait. They just announced Wait, recently. The Star Wars is Ubisoft. I thought the Star Wars was um, the French, the other French studio. What do you, what are they called? The ones who they Quantic Dream. Ubisoft. Yeah. There's yeah. A, so there's a Ubisoft Star Wars as well. There's a there's a Ubisoft Star Wars that. as well. Yeah. Um, they announced it. I think last Game Awards or Summer Game Fest this year. They're oh, making an open. Yes. They're making a, an adventure game. I forgot this existed. I just <laughs> completely forgot about it. Honestly, like the idea of a Ubisoft Star Wars game before some of the changes we've seen in that publisher was a little like, oh boy, what are they going to yeah. do? But now with yeah. the like increased diversity and in, in, in what's what's happening, maybe that game becomes something completely different than what we expected. Um, also, yesterday they announced they're remaking or they're rebooting Splinter Cell. Yes. I saw which if there's been one thing that like I want every single like award show or e3 it's like please announce another splinter cell those are my favorite games <laughs> yeah double agent was so good I it's love so good to play our double agent absolutely yeah it's I, so I just good. hope they abandon this nft push that they've recently been going on mm, I hope yeah that makes them fall flat on their face and they realize <laughs> that i don't know i who knows maybe i'm wrong and maybe this is going to be super popular with, with the gaming space that i don't hear uh, but most, I, I really hope the, it's not. <laughs> I really hope it's not because I'm just simply going to not play anything that has that incorporated. It in just it feels been. exploitative. Yes, I will it really does. simply not play it. I'm like, yep. you will not get my money, and that's that's about it. So it's a choice that you have to make. I'm gonna yeah. vote with my with my wallet. Uh, and I really, really hope I'm wrong about this whole thing and that like I'm blowing it out of proportion, but I don't think so. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I it's... hope that direction for Ubisoft changes and the other good things that they're doing continue. Yeah, I think we're in a really interesting place because yeah. we have a lot of a lot of studios reckoning, uh, a lot of publishers reckoning with how video game work is done, who does it, who's allowed to do it, even in many cases. Um, and I think that's genuinely like a positive experience. It's a painful one, but yeah. all growth is, again, we have kids yeah. learning yeah. things isn't always easy and it's not always the most fun. Um, but the lessons you remember are the ones that are painful. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Worse. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think especially with, you know, things like Wildermyth, with things like Inscription, um, with like the new emergent gameplay aspects of a lot of the, these live service games where people make little games out of it themselves. It'll be really interesting to see like what happens and what's capable in the future where like narrative can become more player impacted or characterization and like customization can be even more character and player, sorry, uh, uh, dependent. Who knows? Who knows? But also, I mean, games the, are... the way I see it is that all of that is already possible with databases and accounts, and 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 it won't burn down the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. I I feel right now the question I keep asking people is, 
and I'm sorry to make the topic about NFTs all of a sudden just like no it's fine it's fine it's topical that's totally fine I keep asking people can you name one single use case that you could only do with NFTs I'm not saying that there are, are not things you can do with it are there things that you could only do with it so far I haven't had a single straight answer uh, mm-hmm. decentralized they keep saying decentralized but that implies that uh, these magical tokens can be implemented in games without the developers so that doesn't work like developers no. have to put you know have to do the work you cannot drag an, a token onto a game and all of a sudden you have a t-shirt that you could wear in the game that's just not how game development that's not works how it, right no like they, they and there's no incentive for companies to implement other people's tokens no so there's just no incentive at all. So basically, what you're doing is you're paying for a thing in a game that could have easily just been a line in your account that says that you unlocked it, but instead is this convoluted thing that you can sell to someone else when you could have easily just traded it from account to account. Because yeah. I'm talking about for games. I'm talking about application for games. Outside of that, that's not my field of expertise. But for games, I haven't heard a single use case of something. Sure that can be that could be beneficial from nfts and i'm still waiting and i've asked yeah many times I've and honestly i don't even to be to be fair so. <laughs> sure <laughs> but still I'm, yeah. I'm waiting to be proven wrong i hope i'm wrong about the whole thing i just don't see it yeah i mean and then honestly it doesn't even have to be specifically beneficial i, I just want to like you said see something that is not possible without it yeah because like we have the modding community we have skins and cosmetics that are tied to a specific account that are only available from a specific company. Like those things already exist. Them being vastly more energy to create and vastly more expensive. And recently I saw someone describe like digital land ownership in a game where you could own a place and then lease it to people and what they make, you make. I'm like, that's just a pyramid scheme. Like we've never been tricked by the fact that those are kind of predatory. So give me a reason to care about this that doesn't seem like it's coming at the cost of the people that would be using it. Yeah. And yeah. all that on top of that, all that is still possible with the with accounts. You could still set it up so that yeah. people can that stuff already exists. Amount of money to each other through their accounts in that game space because why when you decentralize it like that you open it up for exploitation you're like people think that this is going to give control to players it's not it's just going to remove control from devs for them to do anything about anything that happens there's no recourse it's just going to remove control and just put it in the hands of predators who are going to exploit it or just the general market and whatever wild direction it chooses to go in that moment right it's a loss of control it's almost a net loss of control all around yeah yeah (laughs) and if it does give any power to players it gives power to the most privileged players already it's the people with the most money and they're gonna use that to make more and like we already have a very large conversation going on in our world about like billionaires and like how they get there and whether or not they should be helping the people that got them there more than they do and this is maybe a microcosm of that, but like yep. anything with even the faintest familiarity of flavor to that bad taste in everybody's mouth, I don't want. I don't want a part of. <laughs> I need I it to be different, one hundred percent. Oh man, I mean, we're like-minded, and that's what I've been hearing from so many devs. So I'm really hoping that people will listen or prove us wrong, whichever comes first. 
if you like if there's a way to prove us wrong and it is beneficial like like you said i'm willing to hear it but until i do i think my stance is pretty i'm pretty strong i remember people keep comparing it to freemium they're like well people hated freemium when it first came out and to be quite honest the topic of freemium is a complicated one there the good thing about the the, uh, the the good use case about freemium was clear though it allowed to remove the barrier barrier of entry of monetization initially yep. for a game yeah. that was always the argument however we saw so many different companies that were forced by different regulatory bodies to implement so many different you know measures so that it's not exploitation so the argument yeah. that freemium was all good is wrong the argument that it had no good was also wrong and there was this middle space where it can exist where yeah. people can enjoy a game and not pay anything or pay very little uh c- certain games because some games are just just exploitation even within the freemium space and sure. no arguing sure. so this that's the use case that's missing it's the argument where in some cases you can make it work well i'm like okay so what are these cases and yeah. how, like why can't we do that already but anyway yeah now i'm just retreading water sorry you know you cut fine. this part out if it was too repetitive no it's fine it's fine uh <laughs> We're in, we're in, uh, and I didn't, I think Reggie Fisame said this at the Game Award, like, I, without noticing it, we are in a kind of renaissance for free-to-play. Yeah. Like, the way that free-to-play works, the way it's accepted, the way that, like, monetization is being implemented, it's not perfect. Nothing, very few things are. Um, Nothing is perfect, honestly, but, like, Halo's multiplayer is free, and a lot of people were like, well, we didn't ask for that. That's fine. I understand that. But the reality is, like, free-to-play exists, and there are ways to do it that are beneficial and, like, enjoyable. Like, I can play Fortnite if I want to. And if I want to look a certain way, I can pay for it. If I don't, and I just enjoy the gameplay, there's nothing keeping me from doing that. And the accessibility that allows that, the accessibility that that allows is, I think, very important. And, again, if we're going to talk about blockchain and nft like these things are already happening give me a reason that this is necessary and exclusive that doesn't come at the cost of something else yeah Yeah. well put actually really really well put so you have a meeting coming up so i want to let you go but i have a couple questions i ask people before we wrap up two questions Go for it. The first one is, and I'm surprised, genuinely surprised. We didn't talk about food oh, this yeah. entire podcast. I usually that just means... always go back to talk about food. <laughs> <laughs> that just means you have to come on again and we have oh, to talk yeah. about food. This was a great conversation. You well, thank you. This was, I was so nervous. So like I've slammed Why? that Spider-Man interview or that Spider-Man review and I raced home and I was like, I hope that I don't think that I was nervous for any good reason. It's just that like general anxious. Maybe it was just yeah. excitement, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, this has been a blast. But we haven't talked Absolutely. about food, so we must do this again and talk about food. <laughs> I'm in. Beca- because food is important. Um, so the two questions. I'll start with the second one because it's food related. If you could make a game that focused on food, what would that game look like for you? What game do you want to make about food? Like, what story would you want to tell? What mechanic would you want to give players? You're totally going to be surprised by this, I expect. 
but I actually have a design document for a game I'll never make that is a uh, team-based fighting game, kind of like King of Fighters, where you pick multiple characters, sure. that takes place in a food court. <laughs> in a <laughs> mall food court. I love and it. And I have characters designed for it and a whole bunch of background stories. And what you're picking is a restaurant. So you're picking sure. this, like, this chain and you get these. There are five characters in this chain. You pick any combination of three of them and that's going to be the roster. It's kind of like Fight Club <laughs> meets yeah, yeah. King of Fighters. But like, yeah, it's like KFC all... versus Panda <laughs> Express. <laughs> you got it! That's exactly it! And all of it, it's of course, it's a parody and whatever. So, yeah. even though, like, maybe if I had sat down and thought, what game would I make that revolved around food, and that would have been the focus, I would have come up with something probably completely differently. My mind would have went to, like, you know, a, a Diner Dash type thing or something. This is a thing that was unprovoked on its own that I just like dreamed one day and started documenting for no reason. And I, every time I think about it, I just smile. I love the concept, the idea. Yeah. And I even thought of sequels that just like, it's no longer <laughs> just in the food court. It takes place in the whole mall with like different brands, like I love Apple store type thing. And they bring their fighters too, and that kind of thing. Yeah. That's incredible. I love that. I now super want like a food court throwdown. Yeah. You just just call it food fight. Food just fight. Call that's it. Food that's fight. my working name. Is food fight. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh man, that is amazing. Yeah, I would love that. I and would I thought, love that. If that wasn't possible because of any kind of trademark thing that already exists for food fight, there's food fighters. There's yeah. you know food court fight. There's so many other like there. You could call it. You could call it kung food. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many. We're dads. I'm a just big use fan puns. Of puns. Hell just yeah. use puns. Yes. I yeah. frequently tell people that like my humor is equally satisfied if somebody laughs or if there's one dad in the back of the room who does this. <laughs> because I know that yep. that like frown shake the head, that's an acknowledgement of that how is. dumb that joke was and that's all I needed from you. So, did you get any other answers to that question that were similar to this no absolutely not this is the first fighting <laughs> <No>. game yes <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not that is perfect um and then <laughs> i'm gonna think about that constantly <laughs> just know that i'm gonna message you in like oh, a week it. after do i go it. christmas shopping at the mall and be like the whole time <laughs> i was imagining a kung fu fight throughout the food court you know, i'm telling you if i ever like somehow just become a millionaire and i don't care about money or something like that. I'm gonna fund this game. It's just gonna please, happen. please call me when you do. Oh, <laughs> I can't. You know I it. can't make it clear enough that I want to help. <laughs> Absolutely uh, amazing. And then the last question, so we can get you out of here and you can prepare. Um, if there is one game that has not been made in the last ten years that you loved and would like to reboot, what would it be? For me, up until yesterday, it was Splinter Cell because yeah. it's been a long time and now we're getting one. So I have to come up with a new answer. But what is it for you? So I have many. I would usually have to take some time to think about what would be the answer because every, you know, if you give me five more minutes, I'll think of something else. But sure. I'll tell you about the first one that came to mind. The first one that came to mind is another fighting game. I'm a big fighting game fan. All right. uh, it's an old fighting game called Rival Schools. It takes Rival place. Rival Schools? Yes. It takes Never place. Heard of this. In the same universe as Street Fighter, there are even characters that overlap with Street Fighter. Um, it takes place in a high school, and it's basically kids from different schools that come together and fight after school. 
and I absolutely loved the character designs and the humor. Now, you look at the game and it looks extremely dated. It did not age well. It was like at that beginning of 3D games. Um, sure. You know, the, the, exactly. So, like, when people were just figuring out what a polygon was and where to put it. <laughs> but there are... Uh, there's one character that got pushed into Street Fighter V from that series called Akira. Okay. And I've been wanting that series to be remade forever. So, And Akira wasn't enough, so I would definitely push for that one. You know uh, what? You're going to have to... One? I don't know. There's so many <laughs> games I absolutely love. Sure, sure. You're going to have to at some point. Yeah. We're gonna have maybe our next maybe our next time we talk is about fighting games and food because it's gotta I'm be. I'm so now. in. I'm so in. I yeah. have such get, a get bad Felzy ex- for that one too, because I play okay. fighting games with Felzy. He's really good. He's Perfect. really good. I need yeah. both of you then to convince not convince me, to make me want to play fighting games again. Because the sad thing is when I was a kid and I played with my uncle, he just yeah. beat the shit out of me every time we played fighting games. And so I just made I just blocked that that desire off. And like I've played the Mortal Kombat's as they come out for a couple hours, but I don't have as much fun with them. So I need it sounds like you're the right person to be like this is why you should love them and I'm 100% open to hearing it. Absolutely. Well, the thing is with fighting games is you're absolutely right. The barrier to entry is extremely steep. You have to learn so much about a game, a fighting game. Yeah. And you have to have some kind of foundational like abilities that you gain through playing other fighting games. So it's not an easy genre to get into at all. Right. And um, w- the tricky thing is how do you make it so that people, like you could play a fighting game with a person who doesn't know how to play, give them room to experiment and explore and learn. Uh, and while you're not faking it the whole time, because that's not fun for you either, uh, there are different handicap options that exist, but they're necessary because it's that kind of game, right? It's, yeah. it's that kind of like setup. Like I, I, I mentioned uh, Smash Brothers before with my kids, where yeah. initially I would just play to try to even the playing field with four players. That kind of removes uh, a little bit of uh, of uh, the pressure that you have in one on one games. There's no one to blame but yourself when something goes wrong. If you're playing right. Call of Duty six on six and it doesn't work, you can, even if you have the worst kill death ratio, you'd be like, that, th- this this failed because that other guy on my team did this. That one time. <laughs> right, right. You're able to pass it off a little. Fighting games are a lot more intimate, like in that one on one setting. Sure. So, like, all this to say is that I completely understand when people tell me they don't like fighting games. I get it that. I'm big into them because of a certain period of my life where all my friends were getting into them at the same time. We're learning together, learning off each other. And, and that experience is hard to replicate in today. Um, in, in like in, in person fighting games today, online tries to do that by matchmaking. So you're sometimes paired with other people at your own skill level. Sure. That usually exists for the first one or two weeks the game is uh, is launched. And then everyone who's not that great falls off it. And the only people who are left behind are like the hardcore fans. And the longer you wait before you jump into it, the yeah. harder it is. So yep. you, you need, and I don't say this in an insulting way, you need some hand-holding to get back into it. Someone to teach yeah. you like the basics. Um, and the game needs to allow for that person eventually to still have fun while doing that. So, sure. though, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if that was a long-winded explanation, but... No, it's fine. Yeah, it's totally understandable that people don't like fighting games. There's, yeah. We, we make it hard for them to get into them. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they're they're tricky. Like they're not low floor, high ceiling. They're kind of a medium to high floor. 
and an even higher ceiling. So yeah, I completely Possibly understand that. Ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've watched some Evo tournaments and just been like, "There's no, there's no way in on this world that I will be yeah. that good ever." But I love watching them. So you know. Yeah, I love fighting games. There are some fighting games that I've played a lot, and I still uh, consider myself pretty terrible at, simply because I'm not willing to go in the lab and practice those long combos. Sure, I just sure. don't have time for that, so I'll just play them casually. Long, Did lots you of ever? Hours, but casually. Yeah. Did you ever play Absolver? Uh, yeah. Actually, I bought it. I never played it. I downloaded it. So that, that game that is extremely made... good. Really. And okay, like I'm, I'm again, like I like the idea of fighting games, but haven't found one I love. Absolver's borderline because it's it's a kind of open world and the fighting's 3d and it's all form based and they've got a new game coming out called sifu that is really you should look up sifu you you're playing through like generations of the same or like different years of the same guy trying to get through some kind of trial but it's it's like a bar brawl it's like a this kung fu so movie good. game. It looks incredible. Yeah, it looks so it looks so good. Try Absolver. Like, I'm sure you do the same thing, but my appetite for games is way bigger than my stomach. I keep buying <laughs> yes. games with the intention of playing them, and, and then they sit in the backlog. Them. Yeah, like I, sometimes I just install them, go into the settings, set it just right, so I can start playing and then never launch it. Yeah. That yeah. was Absolver. Super excited for it to come out. Love the art style. Love the fighting game thing. Bought it like day one or week one and yeah. never launched it. So like, <laughs> I get it. There's no reason. I, I probably what, bought three uh, games that week and played one of them, you know? Sure. What what platform do you have it on? Because I will absolutely Steam. play it with you. Steam. Okay. Steam. Yeah. Yeah. We we should play that game because that's the fighting game I get. All and right, that I'm might in. be a good that might be a good inroad for us. Good. This is gonna be a reversal of roles. You're gonna teach me this game. <laughs> I'll try. It's been a minute, but I will I'll brush up on my skills and then we'll absolutely do it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's one on one fighting? So yes and no. So you can duel each other, but you can also co op go through the world and fight NPCs. Oh. And like sometimes there's two on four fights and you're dealing with different directions and they all attack at different times and then sometimes there's other players you run into and you have to deal with that okay i'm it's very good all of those things it's very good if you like kung fu movies old kung fu movies this is it's like that turned into a game so actually i i uh, looked it up and yep it's on steam i i can confirm uh i also just because i'm already here i looked up the hitman i played and it wasn't blood money it was absolution <laughs> so All right. yeah i just i don't remember it was a while ago and i never finished it. i enjoyed it i played a, a little bit but i never finished it uh and Absol- absolver uh has zero minutes of play <laughs> i get it like i said earlier the artful escape i downloaded i've looked yeah. at it every day have not played it yet so i we're I think most gamers are in the same place where they their eyes are bigger than their stomach, and they're like, "I All want right. this game and this game, but I'm playing this one, and I'll make time." And you don't because yeah. it just doesn't happen sometimes. I have like two thousand games on Steam, and my my percentage of games played at one point when I looked not too long ago was like forty percent. That's not bad. I played forty yeah. percent of two thousand games. That's also pretty terrible that I didn't play sixty percent. That's a <laughs> lot of games. Look at it. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> Who yeah. has time for 2,000 games? That's... Nobody. Nobody. Osama, nobody. <well, Osama, it's been an absolute blast. Thanks yeah, so much for coming was, on. 
I'm already thinking about the next time we're going to talk and play games together. Hopefully, we could do something in, in person and do a video thing. Hopefully, yeah. That would be yeah. a lot of fun. 100%. Yeah. Being able to, like, like, I'm podcasting with Rami back in March, but being able to, like, meet with him and go eat lunch in L.A. at the Game Awards was amazing. It was the best. So, like, I'm looking you know, forward to, like, traveling again and meeting people as well. Yeah. I have not done that since the pandemic hit, so sure. I'm hoping the first time will be GDC this year. In sure. March. I'm all like, I bought up everything. I don't know if you're going, but if you're going, we could ha- grab lunch or, or breakfast. Sure. Assuming that, you know, that's that's still a that's thing. The thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know about GDC, but I'm, I'm, I've been looking into it. So I'll let you know. And at least, you know, maybe E3, maybe. Yeah. Whatever. Whatever. Maybe I'll just make a trip to. I've never been to Canada. So maybe hey, I'll just make a trip up to, to Montreal, Montreal. I'll buy you a poutine. Have you, have you ever had a proper poutine? Not proper. I've had like Wisconsin poutine, but I have not had Canadian poutine. So I won't comment on those fake poutines. Wait, I guess that's a comment. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> on those yes, other poutines. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when you come down, I'll get you some authentic Montreal poutine, the best in the world. Amazing. I also, you also have to take me to get kebab because I've never gotten oh, kebab either. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like you're the authority really for that. Oh, yeah. There's a really good kebab shop here. It's a little bit far. I'll drive you there. It'll be fun. All right, perfect. See, we ended up talking about food anyway. We did it. <laughs> it always goes back to food. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Um, we will do this again, 100%. We've already set things up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, where can people find you and follow you if they wanted to? So you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Osama Dorias, one word. Uh, more active on Twitter than anything else. Usually my DMs are open, so people can just reach out to me there if they want. Um, and otherwise, if it's a professional thing, you could reach out on LinkedIn as well. Just Osama Dorius. I'm the only Osama Dorius in the games industry, so it won't be so hard to find. That's nice. That works. Yeah. Um, thanks again. Anybody that wants to follow our show, uh, go to nerdybits.com or at nerdy underscore bits on Twitter. You can follow me at lubwub, L-U-B-W-U-B. And... Uh, I used to have a sign-off, but it was Dr. Seuss, and he kind of ended up in, like, negative spheres. Um, So I'm still coming up with it. But so far, I think this episode, our sign-off would be just have fun, and you're allowed to like what you like. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Take it easy, Osama. (laughs) Bye, Caleb.